We invite you to the very small book of the third epistle of the book of John, toward the end of the New Testament. One chapter, we'll be reading the first four verses today. Third John, verses one through four. There we read, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I, greatly re- for I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even <coughs> excuse me, as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And we're going to take our subject title from verse 2 today where we find the word prosper and prospereth. And we want to draw your attention to two things concerning prosperity that are the blessings and dangers of prosperity. The blessings and dangers of prosperity. We have here in verse 2 a beautiful complimentary salutation that the Apostle John gives to Gaius, somebody whom he deeply cared for, mentioned a few times in the New Testament. And I think this salutation can only be matched perhaps by one in the Old Testament uh, that I'll reference quickly if you want to listen or turn there. It's in Numbers chapter 6. To me, these are the two most beautiful salutations in all the Bible. And if you're looking for a scriptural salutation to send to somebody at any time or put on any kind of correspondence, I would certainly recommend these two. But in Numbers chapter 6, uh, Aaron, uh, or rather Moses is commanded here or of the Lord, Moses is, to speak unto Aaron and his sons and say this in blessing the children of Israel. Verse 23, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee. Be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. That's a very beautiful salutation and desirous from one child of God to another. Likewise, John says here, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health as thy soul prospereth. Uh, I've read this several times and you know over the years, and every time I read this, it's almost like you can just feel John's compassion and love in those words. It's just, I don't know how else to say it. You know, some things you can read or hear somebody say, and they just kind of, well, you just heard it, and there wasn't a lot to it. And then other things, the way they're said, the context or something in the tone, something in the way they're said, and it just feels like it's loaded with love. Well, this certainly seems to be loaded with love. And in fact, that's why I believe when he says this, that he is absolutely genuinely sincere when he wishes this prosperity upon Gaius. And the source of that and reason for that is what he's already said, whom I love in the truth and uh, that he does love. You know, so... Uh, things that are heartfelt are said out of love. And John here seems to have really captured it in this salutation to Gaius. That leads me to a second thing 
to think about for which we can rejoice in and praise God. That is that as the children of God, we are blessed in being enabled by the grace of God to do that, to rejoice in the prosperity of others. I mean, genuinely, not faking it, really meaning it, really feeling it, because it's of love. Now, we can only do that because of Him who first loved us. And we can only love the brethren because we've been loved of God. Love is of God. And of course, John, I say this often, was the apostle of love. He says more and reveals more to us through the Holy Spirit about love than anybody else in the Bible. John the apostle. So what a blessing that you and I as the children of God can and should do, and that is rejoice in the prosperity of others. And the reason why we can do that is out of genuine God-given love. And when I say do it sincerely and genuine, I mean we can do it without feeling envious, without feeling covetous, or without feeling jealous. Now, we all know what that feels like because we all felt that way before we knew anything of the grace of God. And we'll still have to fight those things even as a child of God. We're not immune from it. But we can do it, and we can overcome because of love. Reminds me of, of those qualities of love that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffereth long. It is kind. Charity doesn't envy. Charity doesn't vaunteth itself. It doesn't puff up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. Speaketh not her own, not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. We are enabled as the children of God, by the grace of God, to rejoice in the prosperity of others. I think that's something that's so easy to take it for granted because the unbelieving world cannot do that without being covetous, envious, jealous, or having strife or ill conceptions in the heart. Well, let's begin by talking about the meaning and the misunderstanding of prosperity. The word is unique that's used in the New Testament here concerning, uh, as it appears in verse 2, either prosper or prospereth. And it doesn't necessarily mean what we usually mean in English by our definition. But the word literally means in the Greek to help on one's way. Like you're on a journey, you know. Uh, smooth traveling, safety in travel, a pleasant journey, a good journey. And of course that can involve all kinds of things, can it? You know, if we've ever traveled, and most of us have a lot more than we care to admit... It can be a good time, it can be a bad time. It can start out good, it can turn bad due to all of the things and circumstances that can happen along the way, right? Well, prosperity and the definition really means to help along the way to make that journey pleasant, enjoyable, uh, successful. You really get there, you don't have any problems, etc. like that. Now, when we think of prosperity, along the similar lines, 
we think of some type of success, advancement, or thriving, increasing. And just apply that to the journey. As Christians, we're on a journey. In fact, all human beings are on a journey. We call it the journey of life, don't we? And it's only pleasant to those who are traveling with God as their Lord and as their Savior. Uh, no matter how pleasant it is without God, let me tell you, it's not nearly as good as it is with God. And we would reference back to John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress and that journey of the Christian, right? And the prosperous things that God provided for him along the way to help him in his journey. That's what we're talking about in the life of a Christian when we're talking about blessings and dangers of prosperity. And we know that Christians certainly face blessings as well as dangers on his journey and that the Lord was always there in both, wasn't he? So, to help one on one's way to increase, to advance, to thrive, to be successful in that regard. That's our definition to get you thinking about what prosperity is. It is not, and I'm not talking about today, about what is falsely put out there by some called a prosperity gospel. That, you know, you're going to reap and heap all the wealth and riches and good things of this world just because you're a Christian. Uh, that's a false doctrine. And those who preach that is, are false prophets. Jesus taught just the opposite. He taught that in the world you're going to have trouble. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to do this. You're going to suffer things, this, this, and this. We suffer things simply because we're sinners by nature. We, simper, we suffer other things because of the circumstances of this ungodly world and things we can't do nothing about. So there is that prosperity gospel, but that's not what I'm talking about, and that's not what we're dealing with, and that's not in the Bible. John mentions two types of prosperity right there in verse 2. He says, I wish above all things thou mayest prosper and be in health as thy soul prospereth. So he is speaking to us about a bodily and material type of prosperity when he says that thou mayest prosper and be in health. He's talking about in the physical realm, in the world in which we live, which is a material world. And then he says, even as, and that even as seems to emphasize the importance and the priority and the fact that his soul is prospering. So in soul prosperity, we're talking about something that is spiritual. Bodily material prosperity or soul spiritual prosperity. And obviously you know what the priority there is. Better that the soul prospers and the body to perish than the body to prosper and the soul perish, right? What shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? <clears throat> Health and wealth is not worth having a soul that has not been saved by the grace of God. So there are two types of prosperity here. And we certainly emphasize that better to look after and take care of the soul than the body and the material things because the bodily and the material things are all going to pass away and all the blessings thereof, but the soul is going to live on forever. 
The prosperity of your soul will go with you when you die. The prosperity of this life is going to stop the moment we take our last breath. Maybe many times before that. You can gain a fortune and lose a fortune. You can gain many fortunes and lose many fortunes. People have actually done that. That stuff can come and go. But the prosperity of your soul, the increasing of the grace and knowledge of God's Word and truth, prospering your soul, feeding your soul, increasing, advancing in godliness and righteousness and thriving in praising and rejoicing in your devotion to the Lord, you can take every bit of that with you when you leave this world. Isn't that a blessing? Not only can we participate and engage in those blessings here, but when we cease to live here and go to our spiritual home, those blessings will just be perfected and magnified, multiplied. So what a great blessing that is. Obviously, when we talk about prosperity, we're talking about God's blessings, and there's no end to the ways, shapes, form, type, and means by which they come. Is there? James, again, a few pages back in our Bible, makes it clear. Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So again, whatever and any kind of prosperity by any means or any type, any way, shape, or form, it's all of God. God is the one who causes his creatures to prosper. Whether they be just or unjust, God is the great benefactor of all humanity and of all kinds and type of life. And we freely acknowledge in that quote from James, also on the testimony of Holy Scripture, that God dispenses his blessings of prosperity as it sovereignly pleases him. Again, just and unjust, as the Bible says. Whether it's common grace or saving grace, whether it's in the material realm or in the spiritual realm, whether it's the giving of health, the withholding of health, the taking of health, whatever it is, God is the great dispenser of all of that. And that's exactly what James is saying there. None of us have anything that hasn't been given to us. Now it's easy for us to immediately think, well, I work for that. Yes, but if God doesn't bless our labors, it's all in vain. Solomon's conclusion in Ecclesiastes was that. Nothing better for a man to work and labor and enjoy the fruit of his labor, but it amounts to nothing unless God has blessed it. You can labor in vain. And what's the difference between the two that labor the same and one is blessed and one is not? There's no human explanation, but there's a divine explanation. God saw fit to bless one man's labor, and he didn't bless the guy across the fence or vice versa. God does that. There's a marvelous scripture concerning Joseph in the book of Genesis chapter 39 that I think just nails this down completely. And this is when Joseph has been falsely... Uh, or rather has been, yeah, treated, excuse me, badly by his brethren. 
And he is now brought as a slave to Egypt. And he is uh, serving Potiphar. You know the story there. And notice verse 2 and 3 of Genesis 39, if you turn there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Boy, that just nails it down, doesn't it? I mean... Here is a a child of God in one of the worst situations that you could be in, literally a slave away from home in a foreign land, foreign country, serving an enemy almost, you might say, and yet God just is anointing him with a, a special grace and a special blessing so that even the pagan and the unbelieving around it can say, man, here's a bright light in the midst of darkness. I mean, whatever, you know, whatever he puts his hand to, you know, prospers. God blesses. And, of course, this is not the only person here. I mean, uh, his father was blessed in the same way. I don't want to take up time, but it is a good example. His father was Jacob, remember? And you remember how Jacob uh, was blessed of God with the herds and the cattle when he was serving his uh Father-in-law Laban, you remember there? And that's two deceivers working against each other almost. But again, God just blessed the one and took from the other in that regard. So this is what we're talking about. God blesses and dispenses prosperity as it pleases Him when and where He decides to do so. So that's the bottom line and we must accept that if we're going to discuss this. I mentioned Solomon in Ecclesiastes a while ago. Let me go there and read just one or two scripture. Again, that complements the example that I just gave you. In Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, and I believe the verse I want to read is verse 18. Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat, to drink, to enjoy good of all of his labor, which he taketh unto the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, For it is his portion, every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Now, most people don't agree with those verses. Nebuchadnezzar and many like him, in their lost, unregenerate state, didn't believe that God gave him the power he had. Didn't believe he gave him the wealth that he had. But God had a way to convince Nebuchadnezzar that indeed that was true, wasn't it? It is God who gives riches, wealth, or health, or anything of any degree to anybody. He does it according to his sovereign will and purpose. So again, we can labor, it can be for naught, or with God's blessing, it can be prosperous in that regard. That's the bottom line. But ultimately, it lies not in us, but in God to prosper in that respect. So the natural focus for us as sinners is to proper, prosper or desire to prosper <clears throat> in the physical or the material realm. To be popular, to be number one, to be successful above your peers, or et cetera, et cetera, or to have more money than somebody else. That's the natural driving force of every sinner to some degree, right? It is. 
And isn't it a blessing to know that, again, that success can only come if God allows it? I mean, whether we're talking about an infidel or an atheist that's a billionaire, or whether we're talking about a Christian that's a billionaire. It's all of God, ultimately. Now, the blessing and the key to this, of course, is knowing this. Knowing this. Nebuchadnezzar and many others like him did not know it in that situation. But he came to know it through a great trial. And if you're a child of God today, what I'm telling you, you know. If you didn't know it before you came here, you know it now because I just told you. But I know you knew it before you came here because I've told you before. What a blessing it is, as we read there. I didn't read James. I quoted it to you. But as we read in Ecclesiastes, to know it is God that gives. It is God that makes us prosperous, either in the material, the physical, or the spiritual realm. And with that knowledge, then, we are able, willing, and desirous to praise God and give thanks to God and to worship God and to obey God in a way that we never would if we did not know and acknowledge that. What a blessing. I mean, our spiritual prosperity is based upon the knowledge that God gives us that it all comes from His hand. And we can give back. We can give back not only in the tithes and offering, but we can give back in the praise and the thanksgiving. What a tremendous blessing it is. So again, there are blessings in prosperity and God blesses us, and get this, with the desire that we would be grateful for the way He prospers us, and through thanksgiving and worship of Him, be drawn closer to Him. In other words, God doesn't prosper anybody with a desire that it won't do them any good. God prospers us with the desire that it will bring us closer to Him through acknowledgement of where it came from and our praise and thanksgiving of it. Well, that's the blessing of prosperity. And that's the way it should be. However, there is the danger of prosperity. We are sinners saved by grace. And we naturally can forget and we naturally can become unthankful and we can naturally forget that it was God's hand not our hand that brought that prosperity so as well as having the great blessing of prosperity there's always the danger of that prosperity Instead of that prosperity bringing us closer to God, it can turn around and take us directly away from God as soon as we lose sight of where that prosperity comes from. This was the history of the children of Israel. This is what Moses warned them about in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, and we need to heed this because it just can naturally happen. It's in our nature to do this. Deuteronomy the fourth chapter in verse 9 he says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. There again the priority. The prosperity of the soul superseding 
any other material or health prosperity. Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. And of course, he's referring to all the miracles and marvelous and wonderful things the children of Israel saw and witnessed not only in Egypt, but throughout the wilderness journey as they were about to enter the promised land. Also there in Deuteronomy, uh, going over to the 8th chapter, and verse 11, reading at verse 11, he is more specific even here. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full. Okay, there it is. That's prosperity, isn't it? That's prosperous. The Lord blessing us where we're not hungry, but eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. When thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied. Here's the danger. This is what Moses is warning about. Right here, if you want to know the danger of prosperity, here it is. Then the potential is that thine heart be lifted up. And this is why I read the previous scripture first. Keep your soul diligently, lest this happens. Thine heart can be lifted up. That's pride. That's the me, my, I did it syndrome. And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents, scorpions, and drought, where there was no water who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint who fed thee in the wilderness with manna which thy fathers knew not that he might humble thee and they might prove thee and to do thee good at the latter end and thou say in thine heart my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth there's the danger but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is with thee this day. And it shall be if thou do all do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day ye shall surely perish. The best way to lose what we got is to forget where it come from. And that's exactly what Moses is warning the children of Israel about. And then there's not a child of God that's immune to it. It's our old nature. It's our old damnic nature, you know. But God will prosper us as long as we're thankful to acknowledge where it all comes from. I want to talk to you about two other points. One is the prosperity of the wicked and one the prosperity of the righteous. So let's talk about the prosperity of the wicked. And let me say to you, Prosperity is commonplace to the wicked. The wicked prospering is just as natural as the sun rising in the east. We should not marvel, we should not be surprised at the prosperity of the wicked. It's been going on since man fell. It's going to keep going on. It has in every generation till the end of time. The wicked will prosper. And in the outward material way, always prosper more than the righteous. That's just a fact. It's a fact for a couple of years. 
simple reasons. That evil doesn't have to do anything to advance itself. It just naturally advances itself. We have fallen man in a fallen world. And it's like me trying to explain, stand here and explain to you in a 30-minute discourse why thorns and thistles abound. (laughs) Well, God said they would, didn't he? I mean, when man fell and everything became cursed, it's just natural for thorns and briars and stuff to, to flourish, isn't it? Well, likewise, it is natural in an evil fallen world of evil fallen human beings It's the perfect environment and habitat for evil to abound, and it does. And we would point out to you again, remembering that it only took 1,500 years, seven generations to the world to get so evil, so wicked, that the Lord destroyed it with a flood. That's evil's natural course. It's like leaven. It just continues to multiply and magnify and so forth. The potential for evil, the opportunity for evil is where? Here in an evil world. And so don't be surprised, don't be amazed that evil, wicked, ungodly people thrive and increase in a wicked world. Not to believe that, not to accept that is like trying to figure out, well, why does a fungus grow so good in a damp place? (laughs) I mean, We know why. That's its environment. Likewise, wicked men thrive in a wicked, fallen world that gives them all kinds of opportunity to indulge themselves in all kinds of ungodly sins. Job said this very well. Let me just pause here and go read what Job said. I believe it's in the 21st chapter of the book of Job. Job chapter 21 and reading at verse 7 concerning the wicked. And he's kind of similarly asking a question here. Kind of rhetorical. It's not something he didn't know the answer to. But at the same time you get the impression that it does bother him. And in a moment I'm going to read how this bothers the righteous many times from Psalm 73 and David. But first look at Job, verse 7 of chapter 21. Wherefore do the wicked live, become old, yea, and are mighty in power? Now, I'm sure you've thought that, did not you? You know, I mean, it's, it can be discouraged. Why in the world can these wicked people just get anything they want, have anything they want, do anything they want? I, I, you know, I mean, it's a natural, natural thought. He goes on to say, Their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. Uh, Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. They don't seem to be the victims of anything. The evil people do. They seem to be the benefactors many times. Well, indeed they are in this world. Their bull gendereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They take the timbrel, the harp, and rejoice the sound of the organ, spend their days in the wealth. And it's all good with them, right? Except I didn't read the last part of verse 13. And in a moment, go down to the grave. That's the part we forget sometimes, isn't it? Even as God's people. Well, why, why, why? How can they? And nah, yeah, yeah. And that's the part we forget. It's just the here and now. That's the best they're ever going to have. It's what they got right now. 
All their prosperity will cease when they take their last breath. And there will be no prosperity of any kind whatsoever after that. It's all for naught. It's all vain. It's all nothing. God forbid that we be envious of them. But the temptation is to be that very thing, isn't it? Well, I wish my cow didn't cast her calf, and I wish my, I wasn't a victim of robbery, and I wish I wasn't a victim of this and that. And the other. God's people have always been the victims. God's people will always be. I'm not, you know this is a general statement I'm saying. But God's people have always been the victims of this world, and they always will be. Always will be. And I don't have time to go into all the reasons of that, but that's just a fact because of who we are and where we're at. And who runs the show down here in this world? The prince of the power of the air and the devil. So forth and so on. Goes on, I won't read it, but it goes on to say, They say unto God, Depart from us. We desire not the knowledge of the ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? What profit, what advantage is it we should have if we pray unto them? Good is not in the hand. The counsel of wicked is their own counsel. But again, we forget that part in one moment. Everything they've ever prospered in will all be gone and forgotten forever and ever. That's the key. That's the key. Well, I mentioned to you the psalmist uh, uh, bothered him in that thought also. But before I read what the psalmist said, I want to read you a text in Jeremiah that goes in hand in hand. It's Jeremiah 12 and verse 1. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. And the Lord's judgments is, again, making it rain on the just or the unjust or making it rain on this guy, not this guy, given to this one, withholding from that. That's all God's judgments, okay? Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Now again, this is a legitimate question, you know, but we can take it to the wrong answer wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously well let me say to you first of all let me let me assure you with every fiber of my being they're not nearly as happy as they seem to be you know the world blows this up don't it that everybody's wealthy is happy everybody in hollywood's happy everybody with this is happy everybody with that's happy Whatever happiness there, it's for a moment, and then you got to get a new one. Or you got to add to it. We've, we've talked about this before in preaching and teaching about the difference between being happy and being content. Big difference. It takes things to make you happy, and things that make you happy can be there one moment and gone the next. And when that toy wears out, you got to have another toy if you're going to be happy again. It's a miserable life. Solomon, read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find out. What we need to remember is this. What we said in the beginning. Verse 2 here, thou hast planted them. This is the Lord's will. Yea, they have taken root. They grow. Yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. But remember again, in a moment they'll be cut off. And that's the end of that. That's the end of their prosperity. It's just for a moment. All right, I want to get that in between the two. Let's go to Psalm 73 quickly. Psalm 73, reading at verse 1. David was bothered similarly, as Job stated, and we all can be. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. That's true. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Why? David, David fell into this thought process that we can also. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now again, 
this is the Hollywood culture and the rich and famous culture that we live in that so many are envious at and shouldn't be envious at. If they understood it, they wouldn't be envious at it. And he goes on to say, they're no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. They're not plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt, speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens. That means against God. I read it to you a while ago there. Who is God that we should worship Him? Who is God? that we should heed what he said. Their tongue walketh through the earth, therefore his people return hither, and the waters are of a full cup are wrung out of them. You know, it's like we're getting the raw end of the deal here, Lord. What's going on? That can happen to us. Just remember again, as it says, cut off in a moment. All to naught in a moment. There's nothing they have that we should be envious of because what we have spiritually surpasses all of that. And like the one man said, why do I want to heap up riches now? One day it's all going to be mine anyway. All going to be ours. So, however, we admit the fact. This is the facts of the matter. The ungodly and the wicked are going to be more prosperous than most of us ever will be. It's always been the story of God's people. It can be grievous. It can be discouraging. It can be burdensome. Anywhere, anytime, any place we see evil, infidelity, anything anti-God advance, isn't it? That's, and the devil intends for it to be. Because the devil wants to throw it up and say, look what you could have. Look what you could be having, the fun you could be having and what you could be doing if you just walk away from that old church and walk away from that old Bible. Look all that I could give you, just like Christ. Look at the kingdoms of the world. Look what I could give you and you could indulge in. You could prosper beyond your wildest dreams and comprehension. If you just bow down and serve me, well, it's the same with you and me. Just remember, console yourself, Christian, as David did. And as Job did, David said, I went down the house of God, then I understood. My feet almost slipped. But before I slipped up, I was reminded, reminded there's a day of judgment. All of this is just the here and now. And you know what all that stuff does? It just takes them further away from my God. But the way God blesses me can take me to God. This takes them further from God suddenly cut off remember the man in Luke 12 thou fool this night shalt thy soul be required of thee what will a man give in exchange for his own soul very pertinent question let's talk about prosperity of the righteous a little bit and we will close when we talk about the prosperity of the righteous we flip from the prosperity of material things things that are of this world to things within the righteous prosper in their soul. I read it to you, didn't it? Give diligence to the soul. You may not increase out here. You may increase out here. It can come and go out here. Health can come and go out here. But again, what treasure you lay up in your heart will always be there. And that's the only treasure you'll take with you when you leave this life. And the righteous are the only ones can do that because they're the only ones that's got it. The prosperity of the soul. 
faith in God, belief in God, salvation of the soul, and the hope that God gives to the child of God in the life hereafter. To know God's grace, to know God's mercy, to know God's forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ, man, you've got the greatest prosperity there is to be had. If you're saved today, God has prospered you beyond what all the wicked of all time have ever had. Because your soul is safe. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You are engraven in the palm of His hand. And He loves you with a love that nothing here, now, past, or future can sever you from Him. The soul's prosperity... The promise of God to bless your obedience. Are you a child of God prospering in your soul today? You want to prosper more? How do you do that? Just listen to what God says and do what He says. He promises blessings. I'm just going to read one verse back because it's close. Here in the book of James. And I believe it's in the first chapter that I want to read here. James chapter 1 and uh, not finding it. Well, lost that one. Oh, I know what it was. It's an Old Testament verse. It's not a New Testament verse. Not James, it's uh, Joshua. Apologize for that. First chapter of Joshua. And again, I'll go all the way back here because this concept, this principle then throughout the Bible, but here's one of the earliest places that we see it. Joshua chapter 1. This is the encouragement to uh, Joshua that the Lord gave him when he took over in Moses' stead. Forgive me, my pages are sticking together and I'm having a hard time getting there. Chapter 1 of Joshua, verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses thy servant, my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And by the way, the same thing Moses gave to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 29 and 9. He told them the same thing. Be obedient and God will prosper you. That is the promise we have. If we are prospering already in our soul, been saved by the grace of God, God will prosper us. That, now that doesn't come with a dollar figure attached to it. And if your desire to prosper is proper, you won't attach a dollar figure to it. Prosperity is not about wealth. Those who are sick think it's about health. It's not all about health either. It's not just health and wealth. Again, there is a prosperity that exceeds health and wealth and the children of God and the righteous are the only ones that's got it. And they prosper in spite of health and wealth. With it or without it. Did Job, will Job prove my point? He did, didn't he? Did Paul prosper? Yes. We've studied 2 Corinthians, all the things he suffered and all that. Was he prospering? Yes. He didn't have a big bank account. He didn't have a big house. He didn't have lots of things in this world that the wicked do. But he prospered in his soul. And the rest of it became irrelevant. Now the Bible makes it clear. If you're going to disobey God, don't expect to prosper. And certainly as a child of God, we shouldn't do that. Proverbs 28, 13 says, if you cover your sin, you're not going to prosper. God's not going to prosper you. God's not going to bless you. 
But if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive his sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and then you're fit for a blessing, right? Now let me say this before I close. Outward prosperity, material prosperity, wealth, riches, and things like that, that's not forbidden, nor is it sinful. Okay? You know, I'm not preaching against, I'm not preaching that God's people ought to be poor, in other words. I'm not. God chooses to bless His people according to His will. That's His business. Example, Abraham was a rich man. And yet he bears the title of the father of the faithful. Riches can be a hindrance. And if they are, we're better off without them. Whatever, whatever we would like to prosper in, if it's going to be a hindrance, thank God I pray he withholds it from me, from you, or whatever. Our prosperity at the hand of God needs to bring us closer to him. And if it's left up to us, we'd have all the stuff that take us further from him. But again, it's not a sin to be wealthy or prosperous, be blessed of God. I mean, oh, Job was. Look at all that Job had. He was a just man. Joseph was certainly blessed, the prime minister of, of I Look at David, look at Solomon. I mean, King Hezekiah, all kinds of people. Uh, even in the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple that helped Nicodemus bury Jesus. He was a rich man. In the book of Acts, we see a lot of wealthy Christians giving and things. So, so what, I don't want you leaving here think that, well, I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to be poor. No. No. God knows what we can handle. That's the bottom line. And better to be poor materially and rich spiritually than vice versa in that regard. But let me just say as we leave here to, to this morning, and this to us, again, as a child of God, it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget the God that has prospered us, that has blessed us, and where these things come from. It's easy to become complacent. I, I've got to read you one or two scriptures, one scripture in particular. David again, in Psalms chapter 36. He admits this. That's the great thing about David is he admits his faults. That, that's what we look up to him for, isn't it? Uh, not 36, 30 and 6, I believe, is the text I want to read. Let's see here. Uh, Psalms 30 and 6. We can, get, we can get forgetful and we can get complacent. David says, Psalm 30 and 6, In my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Ooh, very dangerous, isn't it? When we prosper is when the things God prosper us with can make us so comfortable that we not only forget where they come from, but we think they're never going anywhere. David thought he was set up. Job might have had an advantage over David in this, and I wouldn't make that judgment call, but I will say it to this. We have recorded in the book of Job when all the stuff happened to Job. Job says... That which I feared that might happen has happened. Job knew it could come. Job knew it could go, and he admitted that. So David may have been a little more complacent than Job. I don't know. It don't matter. But the point is, we can be complacent. 
and think, okay, it's all good, all prosperous, we know, and we're just going to ride it out, ride this wave out, and ride on into heaven, you know, and like Job, the next moment it can, it can be gone. The way to prevent that, stay in the Word of God. Stay obedient to God. Stay thankful to God for all His blessings and prosperity to us, realizing we are what we are by the grace of God. And it's kind of a bittersweet thing, isn't it? That we can rejoice and be drawn closer to God by God's blessing and prosperity in our lives. And at the same time, that very thing that we cherish can be the thing that takes us away from God. So it's a two-edged sword. Thus our message today. Thank God, but be careful with what God blesses us with. May we always give Him thanks.